When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From roommates to co-hosts, this is the Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Welcome to episode 11 of the Back Check, everybody. I'm Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner, and I am in Florida right now, so that's why my background does not have our logo, the traditional setup. But Stefan, it's been a, a little bit. You know, we've been in and out of communication over the last couple of days. I've been busy, but how you been, buddy? I've been good. I mean, after Monday, I'm a little better. Um, I haven't really talked to you since then, but this show is the perfect time to talk about the Rangers and Islanders. But before we get to that, at 6.30, Kim M., otherwise known as Isles Girls 3, otherwise known as the girl that wears the orange and blue lipstick, will be on for an interview at 6.30 till around 6.45-ish. We did pre-record it, but it was a great conversation that I had with her one-on-one, and I look forward to sharing it with you guys. Yeah, definitely. We already got somebody commenting. Jeff Wiggins says hi to us. So, Hello, Jeff. We've got some people watching the show right now. We're thankful for everybody that does watch, and obviously we are going to talk about a painful loss for me, but uh, it was actually a very tight knit game. And I know we will dive into that later, but I was very pleasantly surprised with how the two teams fared against each other defensively. Yeah. Well, first off, Brennan, you went to a actual hockey game. I did, man. I did. And it kind of segued the league news, right? I mean, all of a sudden now New York is going to open up uh, the Rangers, 2000 fans. I'm not entirely sure what the Islanders amount was, but we're going to see some people after the February 23rd date. So it's just cool to see that slowly but surely we are overcoming this COVID virus and we are starting to get back to somewhat of a normal society. But let me tell you something, that Panthers game, it was odd, right? So we, we go to our seats, every single seat in the row next to where we have booked is taped off 
The seats in front of us and behind us are taped off. You have to wear your mask the full time. The NHL has spotters at these arenas. So if they see people in the audience that aren't really uh, adhering to the mask rules, the team can get shut down and prohibited from having fans. So it's a really unique experience going, but there's nothing beats live hockey. Man, They're filling the arena with white noise, which is odd, but you're hearing everything because there's so few fans there. And it's really cool, man. I mean, every single pass, you hear the tape crisp, like every skate turn. It, it was a really unique experience, and I was thrilled to finally watch a game. So it's a hockey fan's dream is what you're saying. There, nothing will beat a packed arena for like a Rangers-Islanders game. Like I can only imagine what it would have been like the other night. But for what we've gone through over the last year and the fact that every sport we've seen has been on TV, it was really cool to just get back into that arena setting, You know, have a, a nice arena pretzel, and enjoy a game. I mean, how much is the pretzel? They got to make up for lost time. How much do they overcharge for it? Uh, $7 for a pretzel, man. That is nothing. Well, uh, we're in Florida, so it's a little different. The prices compared to everything. A beer was only $12, so I was pleasantly surprised at that. I know MSG is laughing at that price because they charge basically the same price as a ticket for their Bud Lights. All right, it's just really good. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to league news. Let's talk about – let's kick it off with some Patrick Line news. So in yesterday's game, with six minutes to go – in the second period, Line does not touch the ice and then does not touch the ice in the third period. The score was tied at 2-2, so we found out later that it was due to something he said to one of the other coaches. Tortorella has been in this position before with benching players. He benched Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, it happens, and it's happened while Torts has been behind the bench. The crazy thing is Jack Rosovic, who was part of that trade, scored a phenomenal goal. Phenomenal goal. The nasty. For the game, I mean, just unreal. Yeah, he not only the finish, by the way, that initial move to cut through both defenders was absolutely filthy. And I mean, slowly, we we had talked about it when the trade first got made. We said this guy Jack Rosovic is looking for that home. He's from Columbus. Yeah, this might be the time where he starts to come through. And we've been right on the money so far. He's been more impactful than Line was. And there's never the full story that gets released right away. I think people have to realize that. So everyone said, oh, here comes Tortorella, one bad defensive play. He's benching another star player. This is how they drive stars out. But there was more to that story. And and if a player is going to be disrespectful to a coach, I think every head coach would have done the same thing and benched him. So this is not a Tortorella versus star player. This is a star player that had a bad moment behind the scenes. And he paid the price for it. And guess what? They won. They won, and my bad. I said it was yesterday. It actually was Monday. They won three two on the Hurricanes. Just the days have been turning to. The days are blending together. The days are blending together, but I, I did mean Monday. They pulled out the three two win over the Hurricanes, and it's unfortunate. It's only his. It was only his fourth game with the Jets. But again, the Jets. I mean, oh. my God, everything's at the Columbus, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just been it's been crazy. But Jack Rosvick's making the most of his opportunities. He's been the best player out of that. I know Pierre Dubois only played in one game. And his team lost. But Miko Koivu on Columbus, who signed a one-year deal in the offseason, played in seven games and then decided, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. I'm not doing this for whatever reason. Now, I want, I want to believe he's seeing what's happening with Tortorella benching all these guys and says, I'm too old to deal with this and decide that it's time for him to get out. But he's, he talked to Tortorella. He talked to the GM and he made his decision and they respect it and we move on. I mean, he had a he had a pretty good career, man. He played 1,035 games, 206 goals, 505 assists, 711 points. But more importantly, he was a captain of the Wild. He was He's a leader and he's a veteran, a great centerman. Did He was one of those guys where you don't really ever hear anything bad about the way he played. He was a model NHLer and 
it sucks that he's gone and out of the league, but I know he'll probably stay involved in one form or another. Definitely. I can see him going back to work in Minnesota, you know, where he was for so long. But because of the type of player and person he was throughout his career, I don't see that incident with Tortorella being the deterrent for him playing. I think it was really just him not, you know, feeling that he could compete at that level anymore. He was getting up there in age. Minnesota let him go where he was the captain for so long. He tried to do the change of scenery. We saw the same thing with Corey Crawford, right? There's just things that go on behind the scenes with these veteran players and he called it a quits. And listen, it, obviously you don't want to see a player necessarily go out like that, but it was on his terms. And I think that ultimately that's what matters. Yeah. He's 37 years old. Again, if you can't give your hundred, if you can't give a hundred percent to your team, you make the right call and, and you give it up. But moving on though, COVID is just taking the NHL by storm. We've seen 30-plus games postponed already, 24 of 31 teams affected. It's just – it's absurd. And, you know, people are writing articles here and there. Mary Clark wrote a great article. She's a writer for – she used to write for The Athletic, SB Nation. Like, is it time to postpone the NHL, take a break, and let let this take its, you know, take its time and then move back in? What do you think about that, Brennan? No. No, they're not postponed the season, please. I think that precaution has to be taken. We've seen the NHL start to take more precautions throughout the course of this season, especially recently. But I like we have just seen, the NHL is starting to open up again. And I think that this might be the worst of it. Remember, you, there's an old saying, you got to be you, you got to be stupid to get smarter, right? You got to mess up to get better. You got to be bad to get better. So this, this was the worst, right? This was the worst aspect of it. And I think that ultimately they will pull through and because of what they've gone through already in this early portion of the season they're now instituting rapid tests they're continuing with the pcrs they took the bench behind the glasses away i think that the nhl will slowly start to get a handle on it because now all these teams are in quarantine those that have it have some antibodies and and i think that players realize now how serious it is because they you know sometimes us youngins and even these players who are in great shape just walk around and think hey uh, maybe we're immune to it or we can get past it. And then all of a sudden you realize how quick it spreads and how much it could affect the season. So I think we will see teams start instituting more stricter protocols. And I, I do think that they'll be able to continue. I, I said this last week. I'll say it again this week. I do not think that we are seeing 56 games played. I know Pierre Lebrun tweeted out a, a standings based on winning percentage. Right now the Devils would be in it, but they've played far less games than everybody else. But it is interesting to see, though, if you can't get it in, you go with the minimum. Some surprising teams might make the playoffs over over others, and that might make a lot of fans very angry. But at the end of the day, it's about safety. If you can't get the games in, I know the Olympics are coming up. They have to beat that with NBC and all that, all that other fun stuff. But it'll be interesting to see if they can get a grip on this and if they switch the testing. Again, they're doing, a, like you said, a ton of new protocols to try to combat this. And hopefully for the NHL's sake and for the fans and the players, they figure it out. But Quick fun fact, if you want to call it fun fact, if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan or not, the Edmonton Oilers won last night for the first time since November 28, 2017, where neither Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl got a point. Now, there's two ways to look at this. One, they've just been that good where they've gotten a point in every win, or this is why the Edmonton Oilers will never win a Stanley Cup. I mean, both lenses hold true. I tend to look at it like that's how good McDavid and Dreisaitl are because there's not many games where they don't record a point, and that speaks just volumes to how dominant they are because they go against the number one defensive core, number one line every single night. Teams know that they have to watch out, and you just can't stop them. 
I mean, how many times this year already have we seen McDavid just pick up the puck behind his own goal line and just skate through people like it's peewee hockey? It's unreal. I mean, it's almost like he's got to get called up. <laughs> I mean, that's what he makes it look like. And then Leon Dreisaitl might be still hidden a little bit in McDavid's shadow. He's equally as talented, man. I mean, they got they might have the two best players in the NHL on their team. And the sad thing is, because of the, I guess, lack of depth is the right way to say it on the rest of the roster, especially in net right now, they're on a bubble of a playoff team. They have to play that good. You look at those stats and it's, it's like, wow, that's crazy. That's a crazy streak. But for them to win games, their best players have to show up. They don't have the depth for – it's like the Islanders. It's been Barzal pretty much until the last couple of games. Barzal or no one. So if, if you look back at the stats, well, every win, Barzal got a point, And now it's like, okay, he, they don't get a point and still win. That's a good thing for the Oilers. But at the same time, it shows – I suppose a glaring issue your, ha- your team has with depth. Now, again, if the Oilers are winning – majority of their games every year and we're, we're a contender every year and this was a stat, you're not even questioning it because you just expect the guys to be that good. But for a team that's eh, on making the playoffs or not and you're seeing that it really wins only come down to two of your players, that, that should be a knock to the other players in the lineup saying, hey, you know, we know how good we are when these guys perform, but on the nights that they don't perform and go against the best of the best of defense when you go into the playoffs and you, you face those teams that lock down. Those two guys are going to be guarding are guarding against the top defensive pairing. So the depth players have to find a way to to score if this team wants to get to the next level. Yeah, they really do. I think that Edmonton has to figure it out because you can't waste the careers of yeah. McDavid and Drysaddle. Eventually, it'll come to the point where if they're not having that success, where they're not reaching that pinnacle, and they're going to say, "You got to move me." I mean, we've seen it before with that team. We see it all around every single sport when it comes to star players. I mean, the, the most prominent examples in baseball with Mike Trout, how he just can't make the playoffs and win a game. And yes, he signed a massive extension like that in Los Angeles, similar to what McDavid signed with Edmonton. But there will come a point where a player with that compete level is going to get tired of losing and they're going to be asked to move to a contender. And you don't want, if you're an Edmonton Oiler fan or personnel, to reach that time. You want to be able to build something because really all they need is a solid two or three secondary scores and somebody to come in on the back end and be good because they'll do the rest. These two guys are that good. Well, the crazy thing is like, Oh, they could trade McDavid at some point. No, they'll never do that. Guess what? They traded Gretzky. So anyone, I mean, anyone is on the table to be moved at any, I mean, that's the, that's the argument. I know McDavid. He's the best player in the league. Hands down. Gretzky was at the same exact X levels ahead of everybody else. And they still moved him because again, financial, they had to, and, Whatever, but at the same time, no one's untouchable. Sports is a business. If they think they can move McDavid to revamp their team, Mike Trout, the only way the Angels will ever get good enough to compete is if they trade Mike Trout or prospects. That's the only way. They don't have the money for it. Yep. Uh, so I was just going to actually say that. I was going to shout you out because you always say that. Always where say that. The best way that they're going to be able to rebuild is they have two of the best assets in the NHL. So if they can't get to the point where they're going to reach and they have to tear it back down, you have to start with those two because the amount of return you'll get from them is, I don't think it's comparable to anybody else in the league. No, and they really botched it with not going after better quality netminder. They could have gone on in the in the offseason. They brought Mike Smith back, which just made no sense. And the Koskinen deal from a couple years ago when he signed, I think it was a three-year deal. No one even knew his name. Yeah. And he was now the starter. And I think he's a, he's not terrible, but he's not, their defense isn't great and he's not making those big saves. And, we know how, like, at the end of the season, stats mean nothing. It's what you do in that moment. If you have a goalie that's going to allow weak goals all the time and not come up with that clutch save, 
you're not going to win many games in the playoffs. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Definitely not. But speaking of another uh, perennial playoff team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, we had that Jim Rutherford news and kind of shocking because he's been such a, a figure there for so long. But all of a sudden he steps down and they took a little bit, but they have officially named their new front office. And Ron Hextall, former Flyers GM, steps in. He'll take over the general manager duties. And Brian Burke, I mean, a very prominent name in hockey. He's been on Sportsnet. The amount of love and, and kind of sadness from the Sportsnet crew that they're losing him just speaks to his personality. He'll be taking over as the president of Hockey Ops. So you, you, they could have done a lot worse than those two names and two big, big hockey men and a lot of knowledge between the two of them that will come in and kind of pick up a Pittsburgh team that's been battling injuries and yet they still remain in competition. Well, intention, I should say. People want the Penguins to rebuild, but the, the reality is they're in win now mode because until they Crosby leaves that team, they're, yep. he's not going to want. He not that he has a big really say in the front office like in other sports like LeBron James, where you have to trade for a guy like this or fire a coach. But at the same time, they're not they they can't rebuild with him. He, they're they're too they're too good to rebuild, but they're not good enough, I don't think, to win right now. They have guys like Malkin has to step it up, and I think the reason Burke was barred is because Hextall likes to rebuild and do like a five or six year rebuild. Yeah. That's what we saw. And I think Burke's sort of in there to be like, yeah, you're not doing that. But I think what has to happen and it's not going to be a likable thing. Now's the time you trade Malkin. You, you have to, he's not, he's only going to go down and, um, and uh, you know, ask what you could get for him. And he's not playing well at all. There are other guys that are playing far better than him that probably deserve more playing time. And if you want to go and get a prospect into or a draft pick, that way you don't have to rebuild and you have another weapon. For this team, I think now's the time you got to do it. I don't know about Chris Atang being moved just with what he's gone through, but Malkin right now is doing absolutely nothing. You see his, the coaches talking to him during the game, like, wake up, wake up, do this, do that. He's just, he's just He is a superstar. He's just not playing like one at a time where sports is a business and you're on a team that's borderline that maybe you'll make the playoffs, maybe not. I feel like now's the time to make that deal, especially with other teams that could use a guy like that for a playoff run. Yeah, but it might – you know, be a deterrent to their morale too when you look at it because Crosby's played with him his whole career. So yeah. I don't necessarily know if you want to move him. I mean, he's basically in the same exact spot that Zibanejad's in where they had phenomenal years. They've had a good chunk of time and all of a sudden they're just underperforming completely this year. So I feel like you got to attribute a lot of that to just the scenario that we're in. They didn't have a training camp preseason. I mean, I don't know if Malkin did, but I know Zabanaj had a COVID, so there could be other things off the ice that are going on that have led to these slow starts, but it is only 11 games in, right? So he still has time to go and become that of getting Malkin old that can kind of take over a game. And with how Pittsburgh has hung around despite the defense injuries, uh, I mean, it's just a matter of time before a player of that caliber wakes up, and when he does, they become even more dangerous. And when we saw the goaltending hasn't been great, Especially, particularly Jari. He's just been terrible. He reminds me of Matt Murray. I mean, they, they could have decided – it doesn't matter which one they would have kept. They both are not having good years at all. But let's let's move on to the real talk. Islanders, Rangers, Monday. Islanders pull up the 2 nothing lead. What a defensive battle. This this was a playoff atmosphere, a playoff style, and if there could be a series, a seven-game series in the playoffs, it would go hopefully just like that, like exactly like that. I wouldn't mind – I wouldn't mind a suspenseful game where we're on the edge of our seat every second – Big saves. I mean, both goalies. Balamov played out of his mind. He did. First, first Islander net minded or shot the Rangers twice in a season. He denied all 30 shots. Despite Shesterkin giving up two goals, which weren't his fault, this was a great mat goalie matchup the whole game. 
Yeah, both goalies played well. Yeah. And I know Rangers fans don't like losing to the Islanders, and rightfully so. But at the same time, you got to look at how young the Rangers are. And for a team that is as defensively stout as the Islanders are, the Rangers pretty much matched them for 59 minutes. Right, The Islanders didn't have many chances, and the Rangers pretty much controlled the place of play early on. Yep. They did the first and second period for the most part, and they had a couple of lapses, which young teams do, and they couldn't finish their chances, and that's the difference in the game right there. They had the power play opportunities. They they had all the chances. Panarin had a breakaway. How often do you see him not score on a breakaway, right? I know Islanders fans can say he never misses. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. So Varlamov played out of his mind, he and did. the Islanders did what the Islanders do, and the Rangers were able to compete with them. So I look at that instead of saying, oh, it's a loss, it's a negative. They were 3-0-1 going into that game. They finally lost the game in regulation. But the problem coming into this year was supposed to be that defense. And that defense looked pretty darn good for a young group, especially Fox and Miller. So when I'm watching this game, I'm saying, if the offense can score like we expect them to, and Zibanejad could start to wake up, you're looking at a pretty dangerous team right now. And as the Islanders' perspective... They did what they had to do, and they completely shut down the Rangers. And when they did have their lapses, their goaltender was there to back them up. That's the biggest thing. The Islanders have had so many more defensive lapses this season, which I think could be attributed to new players on the back end in different spots, no preseason, sort of training camp to get used to it and everything like that. But the Islanders made a ton of mistakes in their own zone and gave the Rangers – this game could have if, – if Varlamov was not on this game, Rangers probably take this game very easily. You don't ever see Panarin usually miss. Lethal shot, but Varlamov was aggressive the whole night. Zabandad even too. On the two-on-one, the defenseman, I forgot who it was on the play. I think I think it was Dobson. Gave Zabandad time to shoot, and Zabandad just said, let me deke. And he deked and tried to score five full, and he couldn't. But you know, those are games where you usually see those guys score, especially. All I could think about when Zabandad had the puck was, please don't mimic when you scored on Varlamov in overtime from the slot. Like that, That's all I could think about because – I'm Lethal. glad you just said that. You're taking a slap shot there. Uh, not only a slap shot, he should have shot. Right? Yeah. We've seen how lethal his shot is. Yeah. All of last year, this guy was ripping the puck, and it was going in. Wrist shot, slap shot, doesn't matter. We know when he's on a breakaway, he might be the best finisher on breakaways, but it has to be straight on because he could shoot or he goes to the backhand and he doesn't miss. From that angle on his off wing, I was screaming shoot. The whole way because he could have picked his spot. He had his head up. He had time. When you get that in tight on a goaltender that's that locked in, he's not going to let that squeak through his legs, right? He was locked in that whole game and he shut it down really quick. He should have shot from the outside because he had another guy coming with him. Worst comes to worst is the rebound. You create chaos in front. So I, I think that's just a player who's feeling a little snake bitten right now. And he tried to get as in close as possible and make a, a sure move so that he had an empty net to shoot at. And he got outsmarted by a better goalie but yes like you said i was screaming shoot because he should have shot he, he beat Barlamov on a slap shot last year he beat every goalie in the nhl on shots you got to rip that puck and i thought for panarin too i honestly thought panarin should have deep Varlamov was so out and aggressive if he had if he had did the leg stick uh the leg kick not his usual leg kick but like just gone on one leg and faked the shot Varlamov was down at the top of his crease if he holds that probably a wide open net I think he felt the pressure from the defense from back-checking, which is why he shot it, and Varlamov was just in a great spot. We've seen the weakness from Varlamov is his seven-hole on blocker side. He's got to beat yep. on there more times than not. And for Zibanejad with a shot like that, I mean, that's a play. Again, we, we expected Zibanejad to shoot. I really was very – I was confused on why he decided to deke and then try to go five-hole. I mean, that's they're getting the scouting report a lot more than we are. So clearly five-hole was an issue, but the whole year – I really haven't seen five hole been an issue for Varlamov. It's pretty much been the higher shots closer to his body that have 
that have squeaked in. But the biggest thing for the Islanders, their fourth line woke up. Not only were they physical, four checking hard. They scored two goals in the game. Sadikis gets the first one, gritty goal, front of the net. And the second one was Matt Martin going hard to the net and tapping in a clutterbuck across crease pass. I mean, two really good plays from a fourth line that's been terrible. At one point, they were the third worst statistical third li- uh, fourth line in the league. And this is the, the fourth line, Brendan, that we always say is the best in the league because they do other things. If the Islanders get their fourth line going, they finally, you know, first line scoring and get some depth scoring going, this team becomes more dangerous. But they have to now put this effort and bring it into the next game. They're riding a two-game win streak. I don't know the last time they did that. And they're technically in a playoff spot after that night. So interesting things from the Islanders. But I think it just that game was a game where I thought the first one that the first team that was going to score was going to win. It took till midway through the third or later for that to actually happen. Yep. Islanders, once the Islanders get a lead, they're just so dangerous. I don't even think it's, you know, their defense locks up, but it's confidence. When they don't score first, they know offense isn't their strength, and it's like, okay, now we got to really pick it up. But when they score first, it's back to the basics, back to the trot system. we got to do this, this, and this. We saw everyone getting pucks deep, and when you play that kind of game, it's, yes, it's very boring to watch for a lot of fans. But that's how you win at the NHL level, and that's why a game like that going to the third, in my head, I'm thinking the Islanders are a team built for the playoffs. They're built for – scoreless games, getting a lead and commanding. So when we were going to the third period, I was actually confident. I was like, okay, this is the Islanders game. If it was a high scoring game and it was Mexico wins, I probably would have thought the Rangers were going to win just because of their based off offense. But when we were going into that third period and the longer the time went, I said, all right, this definitely, definitely favors the Islanders. And fortunately it did for, for my sake. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Rangers, we talked about their chances, right? They were over three on the power play. Their power play moves the puck so well, just can't finish right now. And, Ultimately, it comes down to can you score, and they haven't. So I expect a couple of alterations to be made to that unit. I don't know if it's personnel changes, but just something has to be altered so they can start putting it in the back of the net, and I think that that kind of hindered their chance to win that game. We talked about the chances they had. They, they could have scored, right? They, they should have scored a couple of them, and if they do, like you just said, it would have demoralized the Islanders. But when I saw the fourth line score twice, I first was like, oh, come on, really? Then I was like, this kid Stefan must be loving his life right now because all you talk about is their fourth line, and they they came through in a big way, and that was classic Islanders hockey under Barry Trotz. But to me, that that's why it's not a negative for the Rangers. It's a positive because that was the first time I've actually seen them compete defensively with the Islanders in the Trotz era. They haven't been able to. They've won games where they outscored them, but they've never been able to hold them. They held them to two goals, and they were two goals in a quick span. Other than that, wasn't really limited. They were limited to their chances. Shesterkin played well. But can we talk about the face-offs? I would love to because we spoke about it on the last show on, on uh, Monday when we said, okay, the Rangers have been terrible in the face-off. The Islanders have been top three in the league. And, Brendan, what happened in this game? What happened was the Rangers altered their game plan and lost because of it. <laughs> they won 61.4. They won 61.4. That was the first time all year the Islanders lost a game in the face-off. Guy. I'm pretty sure it was the first time. I don't know what they did. Maybe they put some extra wax on their sticks finally, but 61.4% of your face-offs against the number two or three team in the league at the draw, especially when you are 30th in the league at 41.8%, yeah. whatever it was, that is a huge, huge victory, and yet they couldn't score off of it. So maybe they're just better when they lose draws. They showed a stat of um, – trying to find it here. Zabanajad was 84. 84.6%. Um, and faceoffs, and I think at one point he was 10 for 12 or 8 for 10. I mean, he was he had a great night, and that was against Barzal. 
we we have not seen that yet from him. He's been at 50% a couple of games, but we've always known that Zabanajad has the scoring ability. We haven't necessarily seen that yet. But the one knock on him being a top flight center iceman has always been his consistency in the faceoff dot. Yeah. He hasn't been consistent yet this year. He's had good games and very bad games, but that was the most dominant I have seen him on a faceoff dot in his time with the Rangers. I mean, we talked about it. To, to, to win a game, usually you have to control pace of play, and there's no other way to control pace of play quicker than winning a draw. And we talked about the defensive draw wins, and the Rangers really – it was 36 point whatever percent was for the Islanders or 38.6, whatever. I mean, that's bad. That's Ranger bad. That's, yeah, you do, it usually, was weird. usually do not win games where you don't – I mean, it's one thing to lose – you know, you have 48% in the face of 40 To be that far down and to still win the game – just goes to show, like, if they had only won faceoffs, it probably would have been a lot easier. You know, I mean, the Rangers winning faceoff left and right, and it fortunately did not demoralize the Islanders or frustrate them. It didn't take stupid penalties. It didn't do that. But kind of crazy to see the disparity in, in the faceoff that. I was I was blown away. And, and like, I, I haven't been watching as intently as I do when I'm home, obviously. But just watching that game, I had the feel, like you said, of a playoff game. Yeah. And to me, it, it shows just the growth in the first 11 games for the Rangers this season because early on, it looked like everybody else wanted it more. They wanted it in that game. They just couldn't finish. And every team has those games. I mean, they had just gone on a good run. They were scoring. They were playing well defensively. But to me, the fact that defensively, they have come such a long way and made such strides, I don't think Johnson should re-enter the lineup over Hayek. He had a brutal turn- turnover that led to the first goal for the Islanders. But that was his only mistake in the first two games he's played. He's young. Let him make those mistakes now. Let him develop, right? I mean, we traded, we got him in that trade that sent McDonough and Miller so to Tampa Bay. So we, we need him to kind of develop so that trade looks a little more favorable. Um, but I, I, there's just so many positives to take away from that game that I think they bounce back and you see what happens now against a really good Boston Bruins team tonight and on Friday night when. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a big, bad Bruins squad. We're going to go to a quick commercial break right now, 30-second break, so don't go anywhere. When we come back, we will be having the interview played with Kim, the Super Islanders fan, so stay with us for that. Hey, everybody, it's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Alternate would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to altronite.com. That's altronite.com. No, but before we go into this interview, Stefan, we got our buddy Patrick, the Isle Sign guy, commented, just said, who's hyped to be at the Coliseum one last time? Oh, He's not wrong. We didn't know if this was going to be a thing, but I'm just happy there's going to be a limited capacity of people that can get to send off the Coliseum in the right light. As long as he is there and I can watch <laughs> TV and know that he is happy and he is there and he's proud to be there, all about it. If they don't let one person in the arena – besides the refs and the score people and the, you know, the, the important people for the game to happen, as long as he's there in his spot, everything's great. But let's get to this interview, shall we? We okay. shall. Let's do it. Let's get to the stream. All right, so this is Kim Isles Girl 3. Let's, let's do it. 
Uh, Kim M, otherwise known as Isles Girls 3. Kim, how you doing today? Hi, Stefan. How you doing? I'm doing great. So obviously we know you on Twitter. You're big on Twitter. You're you're a big Islander fan. So tell us a little about yourself. All we know is that you love the Islanders. You're passionate about the Islanders. But give us a little bit into your into your personal life. So um, it's just a family tradition that's just been passed down, I feel like, in my family. Uh, my grandparents were season ticket holders since 1973. Uh, both of my parents are huge Islanders fans. And then my brother and I. And um, some of my earliest memories of being a kid is honestly just being in the seats of Nassau Coliseum watching games. And I make the joke that at the dinner table, they never asked, how was school or how was your day? It was always, did you see that contract? Did you see the game last night? What do you think of this trade? Uh, so uh, it's just honestly something that always intrigued me as a kid. And the reason I really got into hockey was because I was, uh, I was upset that I couldn't join those conversations. And I was sitting next to my grandma at Nassau Coliseum. They blew the whistle. And I nudged her and I went, why did, why did they blow the whistle? I forgot if it was icing or if it was offsides. But she slowly and steadily taught me the game at home. My parents you know, were, and my brother would slowly teach me the game on television. And from there, it's, <laughs> it's, it started, <laughs> I mean, it started this whole big um, love and passion of mine that is New York Islanders hockey. One of the coolest things ever is seeing you on a MSG Plus commercial wearing the lipstick and all that glamour. How did that come to be? So uh, I was shocked. Um, I was on Twitter and I got a DM from MSG uh, on Twitter saying that they would love to have me do a commercial or be a part of a commercial for them. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, that's so cool. It was like a dream of mine since I was a kid, you know, and I was like, of course I will, you know. Uh, they gave me an email. They gave me some uh, questions to go by. And so I recorded for them. And suddenly I get another message from MSG saying, uh, with the lipstick, we want to do just like a special segment about uh, how you do the lipstick, you putting it on, and uh, how that came about. And so that's how that the other commercial, that lipstick commercial came about. It was just a, a secondary thought from MSG after they had seen my footage from the first one. And I mean, I was stunned. I was, I was so excited. And I remember my family just huddled around the TV, like waiting for it to come on. And it's, it's the weirdest feeling, uh, sitting down watching an Islanders game and seeing your face pop up on the television screen. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> Speaking of the lipstick, where did that come from? Was that one of those ideas that came out of nowhere and you said, let me rock with this? You know, just tell me a little about it. So when I was 16 years old, my passion was huge. And I I saw like guys like uh, at the Coliseum who would just do full face paint and dark guy and, and Leafs Nation. And I was like, I want to face paint my whole entire face. And my mom looked at me and went, hell no. <laughs> and I was so upset about this. And I found a lipstick company that made orange and blue lipstick. And I went, and I went to my mom, I'm like, compromise. What if I made it more feminine? And she goes, she was like, eh, she was teetering. She's like, I don't know. Kim. I was like, come on, it's just my lips. And she was like, fine, okay. So I got that compromise with my mom. We bought the lipstick. And I was like, what if I did half and half? I like played around with how I could do it. And so I did half and half lipstick and I loved it. I loved that I could show my passion, you know, externally rather than just internally. And I didn't know it would be something that would, you know, be my thing or be my shtick, you know, 
to this day. I mean, that's, that's awesome. See, obviously we all recognize you with, with the lipstick <laughs> and all of that, but what does it mean to you to be recognized by the Islanders fan base? I, it's something I never thought would ever happen. I thought I would just be another fan in the crowd, you know, just cheering on the guys. And I was happy with that. But just the fact that so many people now know who I am as a fan and, you know, come up to me and they're like, are you lipstick girl? <laughs> it's such an, it's, it feels like such an honor that I never like thought I would ever experience that, you know, something that I consider, you know, like I consider the Islanders fan base, my family. And just having those people that are, you know, are so close to my heart come up to me and say, you know, I, I love your lipstick. You, you know, you're a great inspiration to like my, my kid. Like I have little kids come up to me who say like they love what I do and they want to get lipstick when they're older. And like, it just, it's something, it's such a huge honor to me and something I will never, ever be able to say thank you enough for to people who recognize me and say how much that they love uh, what I do. And honestly, I, again, it's just a huge honor. So we really got to know you when Robin Leonard was, in, was on the team a few years ago. Tell us a little bit about the Baxter. I know you got to meet him. Things were going on. Just give us a little bit about that. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit long, but um, I'm going to try to do the short version. So in the 1890s season, uh, season he came out with in the athletic about his bipolar depression and alcoholism, and I, every Islanders fan was behind him. Every Islanders fan was there to support him. And later that year, I was diagnosed with partial complex seizures, and to this day, you know, like obviously, I'm still taking my meds, still taking, you know, dealing with epilepsy. It was just so brand new then. He became such an inspiration to me because I knew what he was going through. And after that, um. My grandparents surprised me for Easter because I had been dying for a Robin Leonard jersey with his jersey. And I just broke out in tears because of how much that jersey meant to me. And Robin Leonard actually saw that and he retweeted it. And I was I started crying more. I was like, I was like, he saw it. I was like, he saw it. And he started following me on Twitter. And then um when he eventually left the organization, which I'm still upset about, um, in Chicago, I saw we weren't going to have a home game versus Chicago until April. And I said, no, 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 I'm not waiting that long. There's no way I'm waiting that long. So I took a plane out to Chicago in December and I had a sign. I had the lipstick on. I had a sign that said Long Island will always love Leonard. And he saw it on the ice and he raised a stick and he like, you know, acknowledged me and Honestly, that just made my day. Like I thought, oh, my day's complete. That's all I, you know, I needed. And I had two people, uh, Kelly and Spencer, that were going to meet him after the game. And I was super jealous, but I was like, "You guys have fun, you know. Tell me how Robin is." Mm -hmm. And I was outside the United mm -hmm. States waiting for an Uber with my boyfriend. And I suddenly get a call from Kelly. I'm like, oh, I guess she's like going to tell me how the how the meeting went. And I was like, hey, what's up? And she goes, get your ass back to the United Center right now. He texted us. He wants to meet you too. And I was like, what? <laughs> I looked at my boyfriend and he's like, as soon as I saw your face, I canceled the Uber. He's like, I knew. And so we ran back inside. The security wasn't going to let me in. It was a big fiasco. But I finally got back inside and I got that moment to meet Robin Leonard and let me tell you like he's just a down-to-earth you know respectful person he he's a great hugger by the way <laughs> he's a fantastic hugger like the nickname the panda is 
perfect for him. Uh, but he, I didn't have to tell him who I was. I didn't have to tell him anything about my background. It's like he already knew. And he put both of his hands on my shoulders and got eye level with me because he's a tall guy. Uh, but he got both hands on my shoulders, eye level with me, and just gave me so many words of encouragement. Just like, I just want you to know how strong you are and how your journey does not define who you are as a person. You keep trucking along. You Every single day, you keep fighting. And I never will forget those words that he said to me. I will never, ever forget that moment as long as I live. And those days where I'm really struggling or days where I just feel like nothing can go right, I just remember what he said to me. And just it's just something that just keeps me going just that little bit further. And... Honestly, it's something I will never, ever forget as long as I live. And that video that's on Twitter and that's on the NHL.com um, was my boyfriend actually recording that moment. And I'm so glad he did because it's the one of the happiest moments of my life. You can hear the emotion in your voice when you talk about it and how, how important he is and played a role in your life. Are you still in contact with Leonard throughout the year? I know he's busy in Vegas. Um, I did kind of, he did kind of, he commented when, so... I'm going to turn my camera a little bit here. Um, so I've been collecting all of his jerseys for every single team he's played for. I call this the wall of Panda. Uh, and when I got, I just recently got my Buffalo Jersey. The senators one is finished and is on the way, Nice. but um, he did uh, comment to me. He, he, that he saw like the Jersey collection. He was like, this is, he said to me like, this is awesome. I love it. You know, it was just so, it was so kind of him to even like reach out and see that he saw that I was collecting all of his jerseys. Um, he's such an amazing guy. Yeah, he DM'd me on Twitter, basically, uh, about like just you know it was so glad it was so good to meet you. I'm uh, you know um, you're a strong person, an individual, and uh, it's a re it was really nice to meet you and things like that. It's just an incredible experience you went there, and I know you'll never take that for granted that meeting. Um, going back to you know you are always a fan that's very positive you're very positive outlook and this is it we're talking about the islanders here who are more often than not make it very negative at points what has allowed you to stay positive oh my goodness i'm sorry but if you hear the telephone ringing um but honestly it's because growing up my brother and my father are mostly um pessimistic um and honestly i just as a person don't like that outlook you know, I'm just a person who doesn't like to be pessimistic in life. I feel like if you don't have optimism and what keeps you trucking forward, uh, I always have had optimism in this team. Even when they were in last place, I'm like, you know what? Even if we're in last place, we're going to get a good, you know, we're going to get a good draft pick and we're going to keep just going forward with this team, trying to keep making this team that much better. And I will always just have love and faith in this team, even, you know, at the worst moments and even at the highest of moments. It's just about finding the good in every situation. And that's how I try to, that's how I keep my faith going. That's how I keep my love of this team going. It's just finding those little moments in this organization that, you know, we're in, we're on the right track and we're going to pick up where we left off and we're just going to get right back to where we started from. Bad joke. Okay. That's <laughs> a great Alec. We, you know, uh, in Monday night's win though, I mean, the team played stellar. How do you feel about the team's performance moving forward now? Um, I'm going to tell you, I'm a little bit still concerned about this team. Do I think we're a Stanley Cup team? No, I think we still have a little bit of ways to go. But um, 
fourth line, good to see coming back into their identity line and just uh, still being that key element on this team that they're, they're the reason we won. Yeah. And the reason that we are still, you know, we're still getting points and things like that. But if I'm going to say uh, going forward, hopefully that line can stay healthy and stick together. Um, Matt Barzell was also a part of that goal with Matt Martin. I mean, guy has hockey IQ that's freaking above the charts. Yeah. But um, I'm hoping to see a little bit more from our first and second lines. Um, Leo Komarov, I love Uncle Leo. But he was a great Rangers player last, last night. I mean, man, he would play great for the blue shirts. Uh, <laughs> he just constantly passed it to the Rangers. I would love to see Bellows and Wallstrom back up in there. And my brother actually told me this, which I think is a great point. There's not much you're going to see from Prajo and Wallstrom when they're consistently stuck in their end. Yeah. And if you look at that third line, they were consistently stuck in the Islanders' end playing defense. You're not going to see anything from offense that they're always stuck in that end. But if I'm going to say anything, Islanders need to work on passing, stick to stick, tape to tape. Uh, there's too many times where we just throw it against the boards and we hope to God that another Islanders player is there to take the puck and possession. Just not getting scared when you have that immediate pressure on you. Make a move. Do something just to keep that puck in you. And Matt Barzell does that fantastic. He doesn't get scared when two players are coming onto him. He finds a way to keep that on his stick. And I just feel like that's the biggest problem with the team is that immediate panic. Oh, I need to get rid of the puck. And that's how we always give it up and we just never keep possession. So I would love to see more puck possession. I'd love to see more uh, passing stick to stick with this team. And I feel like those are really missing elements that we're missing to get into the offensive zone. And then we can talk about maybe having a little bit more offensive pressure with getting that, you know, uh, top line shooter, um, flat caps obviously screwing us there, but then I think we can talk about that. But just some simple hockey mistakes that we're making at this point, where I don't think we need to focus so much on offense when we can't even get into the offensive zone. So that's a great point. A lot of defensive zone breakdowns and miss miss coverage in the defensive zone. It's really played a role this season. But my last question for you: Do you have your seats locked up for UBS Arena yet? Of course I do. That's not even a question, man. We as soon as we could uh, find seats, my grandparents obviously since '73, so they had the uh, advantage of uh, having picks early. Um, obviously, it's a little bit more expensive, but we're up in the we're up in the third on top. That third ring on top, I forget the the third level. I guess you could say um, second row. Um, we're like we had like where we were at the Coliseum. It's like caddy corner to where the Islanders shoot twice. Um, because that's honestly, those are the seats that are my absolute favorite, even if it's even high up, but that gives you a good view of the whole entire play area. So you can see what, how the Islanders playing, how's the other team playing and you can get, you don't have to keep looking up at the scoreboard like you do at the glass, like where you're just like doing this all game, like, oh, they're at the other end. Hold on. Okay. Now they're back. (laughs) And the seats that I've loved, I don't mind being high up. I feel like True hockey fans don't mind being in the nosebleeds because at least you can still analyze play. And um, I'm super excited um, to go with my grandparents who are just my absolute, they're legends to me. They're my favorite people whole in the side world. My grandmother is the most passionate fan you will meet at a game. She will get up and she will point and she will yell. And, and I, I learned, from, I say I learned from the best because she is, She's the most passionate fan I think I've ever met in my life. And 
people call me a passionate fan. I'm like, you should see my grandmother. <laughs> but honestly, I'm excited. You should get the lipstick on her also. <laughs> not her thing, not her thing. But she loves and supports me uh, doing the lipstick. And she's a, she's a big advocate and a fan of mine. She always, her and my grandmother, my grandmother, her and my grandfather, her and my grandfather always come into my, my streams and they are always supportive of me. And honestly, they, I don't know what I'd do without them. Well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hopefully Islanders get a win on Thursday and keep riding along this season. Yo, thank you so much, Stefan. So that, during the interview, obviously, you know, I, I saw it live when we did it on Tuesday and, it's hard to not choke up when she when you could see the emotion in her face. I don't like what you did here, brother. Hold on, I gotta switch us. Sorry. Oh, here we go. Anyway, the uh, the emotion in her voice when discussing Leonard it literally makes you choke up because it just shows you know how passionate Kim is as an Islander fan and what she was going through and to have I mean stars align with Leonard coming to the Island. Islanders were a team that gave Robin Leonard a chance. Not a team. Not many teams were willing to do that, and they gave him a chance. And he showcased, he came out about his issues and what he was going through. And, you know, he's still trying to recover. He's done great strides in getting there, but every day is a battle. And to be able to see Kim eye to eye and say, listen, you're an amazing person. Don't let it define you. It was just awesome to see. And again, it's it's still something that she goes through every day. But Kim talking to her the handful of times I've talked to her, awesome Islander fan, awesome person as well. So it was, it was a great, great interview. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You can definitely hear it. And I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I'd put something out there and Bell Let's Talk Day and mention Robin Leonard, too. He's just an inspiration to anybody who uh, had struggled to open up or saw what he did and gave them courage. It's just awesome to see when people in that uh, type of you know spotlight can show the courage that he did and, and give people a voice. And even Nate Thompson did it, too. I know that I mentioned him as well. So any athlete that is willing to kind of sacrifice their pride if you will or their image that they have right now and, and have generated throughout their careers to become more humane is kind of awesome to see and you could tell how much it really meant to her especially meeting him that's such a crazy story leaving the arena thinking you weren't and then coming back in like my emotions would be through the roof i mean i've had conversation with leonard too it was for a bad thing early on we all know what happened on twitter with me but it turned out to leonard following me and talking to me awesome human being great goaltender i know he's struggling a little bit this season but he'll turn it around i won't even think twice if he will but before we get to our next thing which is our date in hockey history i just want to talk about longislandhockeyco.com if you're looking for cool hockey apparel from long island brennan's wearing a shirt right now i'm wearing a shirt as well we showed it last week coolest creative ideas but doing they're doing a fundraiser now if you go to longislandhockey.com longislandhockeyco.com every hat you buy donates 50 meals to families in need so if you guys can go do that Let's help a cause, wear some cool apparel. My favorite hat ever is that it's an island hat, the island logo, but it's a hockey rink inside it. So go to their site, check it out. We'll post about it later. But longonhockeyco.com is the place to go for that stuff. So let's move on to this date in hockey history to close out the show. We have, we always have cool ones, but I think this week is, is extra cool. I'll kick it off. On this date in 1924, the NHL voted to admit a Boston franchise into the league. The Bruins make their NHL debut by defeating the Montreal Maroons 2-1 at Boston Arena, now Matthews Arena, on December 1st, 1924. Wow. This date in history, huh? The Bruins enter the league. What a... Okay, in real life. How... how Real life. Nowadays. 
How, how long has it taken Seattle to become a from the starting point for a team bidding to now? How many was this going to be year three or year four when it all started? That they probably a four year process. Oh, all right. So on February tenth of nineteen twenty four, they made the decision. On December first, they were playing. So there was a lot fewer teams, a lot less money involved, a lot more ownership and league control. Yes. It's definitely a different time, but yeah, that that time lapse compared to what we've seen now and then is definitely different. This one, I'll just take it again, Brennan, because I want to. This one, 1942, the Boston Bruins crowd line of Milt Schmidt, Bobby Bauer, and Woody Dumart combined for 11 points in an 8-1 victory against the Montreal Canadiens at Boston Garden in the final game for all three leads to join the Royal Canadian Air Force. Now, this was during a bad time in history, obviously, World War II. They are applauded after the game. From the Bruins, they receive gifts that include watches, bracelets, and paychecks to cover the remainder of the regular season and the playoffs. The Canadians put aside their rivalry and joined the Bruins in carrying the trio off the ice while the fans, the fans sang Old Lang Syne. I mean, that's absurd. Talk, for, forget the, the second part of that. 11 points. You want to talk about a, a final a curtain call? before you are leaving the sport for at least a temporary amount of time. And then that's just classy by the Canadians. Cause obviously the Royal Canadian air force is uh, they serve the Montreal Canadians and their fan base. So they're, they're giving a little tip of the cap there. That's really cool. Last time these two teams came together. We've seen, you know, we've seen it happen through wherever it be like a tragedy or a bombing or any terrorist thing where, the national anthem won't play, or the national anthem is playing, and both fan bases, whether it be, whether it be um, Canadian team, like a team that's not affected, yep. real close to an incident, that the whole crowd comes together. It doesn't matter what national anthem they chant, USA. I mean, we we talked about it. And hockey is just one of the sports where, at the end of the day, you are one big family. I was talking oh. to someone earlier today, and they were talking about, yeah, I mean, when I got into hockey and all that stuff. It was one of those things where it's like it's crazy how how close of a unit you are. And yes, we have the hockey community has challenges. They don't do a good enough job, I think, with getting minorities in the sport. But when it's all said and done and things happen, you put your fans, you know, you're you're rooting for whatever team aside, and you come together as an NHL as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And I forgot which Canadian team it was, but there was a time where the mic went out during the U.S. national anthem and the whole crowd sang it. Like that was such an awesome moment because it wasn't like you say. U.S. market. It was a Canadian market, and they all joined together. But if you don't mind, I'm going to run with the next one because, you know, it's a Rangers one. Go for it. All right. 1983, the Minnesota North Stars and Rangers combined to set an NHL record for the fastest three goals. New York's Mark Pavlich scores at 1918 of the second period. Teammate Ron Greshner scores nine seconds later. And Minnesota's Willie Plett beats the New York goaltender Eddie Mio six seconds after that for three goals in 15 seconds. Minnesota wins the game 7-5 at the Met Center. Fun fact about this, I met Ron Greshner, very nice dude, and a very good hockey player. Well, I mean, I bet he's probably a very good hockey player, but the fact that you saw three goals in 15 seconds, you got to think about it. And for that to happen today, you probably need McDavid on the rink, McKinnon on the rink, and it's probably an all-star game. That's that you're just not gonna. See. You might see two goals in a span of 15 seconds, but scoring three is you gotta <laughs> you gotta be a wizard to do that. And that that's that's gotta come in a game where, yeah, it's gotta be. An, it would have to be an all star game. That's the only thing I could possibly think of that happening, or or a team playing the Senators. 
I mean, it's really just puck luck at that point. It just got to bounce in a way that you can get the puck and score that quickly. Because if it's a clean faceoff win and like there's an actual good defensive structure, you're not able to get into the zone that quick for three goals in 15. So it's got to be a quick win off the draw, slip, and, and go in. So, I mean, I don't know if you'll ever see that beat. Yeah, I'll take the next one. You take the last one because the last one is Rangers. But 2003, after going scoreless for seven games, Brett Hull becomes a sixth player in NHL history and the second fastest to score 700 goals. He reaches the milestone by scoring at 16.54 of the second period in the Red Wings' 5-4 victory against San Jose at Joe Louis Arena. Oh, I missed Joe Louis Arena. Yeah, so do I. The Joe is such a good place to watch a game. There. Never been there, but Joe Louis Arena sounds so much cooler than Lil Caesars. Palette, whatever <laughs> it is. But, yeah. uh, Red Hall, legend. What can you say? Brendan, move on, though, for the birthday boy. Yeah, this I remember watching this game. It was a, a crazy performance. New York Rangers goaltender Alexander Georgiev celebrates his 23rd birthday by making 55 saves in a 4-1 victory against the Maple Leafs at Madison Square Garden. He's the sixth rookie goalie since 1955-56 to make at least 55 saves in a game and the second to do so on his birthday, joining Al Rollins of the Chicago Blackhawks who made 57 saves in a 3-1 win against Toronto on October 9th, 1955. Both came against Toronto. And I remember that stat coming out while we watched the game live. And you're like, wow, Toronto's just doing wonders for rookie goaltenders. But Georgiev has always played the Maple Leafs well since then. That game might be the best he's ever played in his NHL career, though. He was absolutely dominant. Nothing got past him besides one. Given how it's going now, this might, that might be the greatest game of his career. Uh, I mean, he hasn't lived up to that this season. But very few goaltenders can live up to that type of performance. We just want to see a little bit of that, right? We we want to see that aggressiveness. And I feel like, oddly enough, when you watch Georgiev play, he's one of the few goaltenders that struggles with straight shots and, and easy shots. But when it's like a, a cross-crease pad and he has to lunge, he's unreal. It's just when he's not thinking, he's dominant. And when he is thinking, he struggles. Sounds like me. Um, tonight, though, at 7 o'clock, which we're, you know, we're going right to the wire here, your Rangers are hosting the Bruins. What do you got to see from this club tonight, particularly from your goaltender? So Georgiev gets to start his first one since the D'Angelo incident. I think that he will respond. Obviously, it's a big moment. If he doesn't respond, it's basically ensuring that Shesterkin will see the foreseeable future in goal. But I, I do think he'll play well. I don't really look towards the goaltending situation as much as I look towards Mika Zibanejad. We need to finally see a big game from him. And against a Bruins team that has just lit the whole entire NHL on fire since they decided to, you know, start off slow and, and give everybody heart palpitations in Boston. They are now one of the most dominant teams, in the NHL again, and Mika Zibanejad in order for the Rangers to triumph at least once in these next two games, but especially tonight on national TV has to prove some Mika Zibanejad of last season in this year's shell of a, himself right now. So are you, are you confident that the Rangers can beat the Bruins? Like, is this the time to do it? I'm confident it's going to be a close game. And the, uh, if you said this before the Islanders game, even when they were playing well, I would have been like, I'm not entirely confident in it. But how well they played defensively, and I know Boston's offense is a lot different than the Islanders' offense, but they still played compact in their own end. And I feel like if they can do that again and frustrate the Bruins a little bit, they will get their chances. They get their chances every game. It's a question of will they convert. And like I said, Zabanajet has to step up. But if, these, if they do convert, it will be a close game. Do so I know if they'll win? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, nobody knows. If you, if you were, you'd be a millionaire by now, Brendan. Yep. With all the wrong bets we've made over the years. 
But go back to before the Islander game. Quinn said that he wants his team to play Islander hockey. Take a page out of Barry Trotz's book. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that because your team is based on just being very good offensively. So by playing a defensive style, you're taking away from your forwards, yep. which you really can't do. But at the same time, if the Rangers can bring that defensive um, mentality into their game and focus a little more on defense than on their offense, their offense is good enough where if they play the Islanders way, they'll win more often than not because – Usually the Rangers make the most of their opportunities, but they also get a lot more opportunities than most teams because their offense is that good. So if the Rangers can get a lead and then they learn how to play the Islanders brand of shutdown hockey, this is a team that no doubt about it is in a playoff contention. And it's too not too late in the season. Look at the standings, how close it is. If they can figure out how to – their defense has been great. If they get their offense going, get leads early and lock down. I mean, we saw the Islanders win one nothing against the Bruins. Uh, Varlamov was unreal. But the defense locked down. They buckled down when they needed to. They got a one thing they real late, but they kept it close. The, the, the Boston Islander game was the same exact game as we saw Ranger Islanders a couple of days ago. Varlamov yep. was unreal. Islanders didn't have a lot of chances, and they, they, the chances they did have, they did capitalize, and then they held it back and closed down. So I'm confident that because the way the Rangers' defense has played, it's been phenomenal, that the Rangers can get a lead tonight and go back to that way. They're great, but if they fall apart and the offense doesn't get back and defense falls apart, Georgiev allows a weak one, that's going to be the killer. But if they could play that style of Islander hockey with the lead, this Ranger team's going to be dominant. Yeah, and I think that what Quinn means by Islanders hockey is, like you said, that shutdown defense. But also the way the Rangers are structured up front, if they could start defending well and lead to transition rushes, that's a hard offense to stop with that much skill coming at you full speed on odd man chances. So that that's what they mean, and, and we will see right in about eight minutes the puck drop if, if they could handle the, the big bad Bruins. Oh, well, I'll let you go, Brendan. I think it's time to close the show. Thank you again to Kim for joining me yesterday, and we played it today. It was a hell of an interview, and Rangers in action tonight against the Boston Bruins. Everybody, thank you so much, and take care. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.